Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode number 46, recorded on October 11th, 2022. You've probably heard the word metaverse thrown around, and you're forgiven if you think that this is something that Facebook is trying to push on us. Well, that's true, they are, but only to an extent. The new age of the internet and online activity will include an infinite number of metaverses, all based on new technology, new protocols, and new ways of doing business, as well as new ways of owning digital property. It's far, far more than what we're hearing about Facebook. And as you'll hear in a moment, Asia is leading the way. On uh, this episode of the Smart Cities Podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different. I am going to be the guest because I was recently at a conference in Singapore called All That Matters. And a big focus of this particular conference was Web3 technology. Now, I know Grant is, is very interested in this sort of stuff. So you, Grant, because I was there and you weren't, you are going to interview me, and I will do my best to um, to explain uh, the multiverse, the musicverse, the metaverse, and Web3 and all that sort of stuff to you. To you. I think it's great. Uh, so, so thanks, Al. I, I think, first of all, you're fortunate to actually have been, been gone there. Um, so maybe tell me a bit about the conference and where you were and about the, the city and so on. Then we can get into more of the details of... Uh, of what you might have seen that is so much different than what we see in our little bubble here in North America. Right. So I went to the All That Matters conference, which is an annual uh, event just before the Formula One race in Singapore. And people from all over Asia and from Europe and, and North America, too, come to this thing to discuss various leading edge stuff in terms of music, marketing, sports esports and uh, what else, something else uh, and gaming and what we what we they get some really smart people in fact a lot of people from from Asia Pacific that we don't see here or hear from as much in North America as we perhaps should and every year there seems to be some sort of overriding theme and this year everybody seemed to want to talk about web3 which I thought was a bit weird considering where we are at with this new technology in here in North America and Western Europe. But when I got there and I heard all these people speak, it occurred to me very quickly that there are parts of the world that have embraced this, this new technology, this new evolution of the internet, uh, far more tightly than what we've seen here in North America. And I think what we've also got here in North America is a... um, is a skewed view of what the metaverse is, is going to be. I, I think well, I think one is what I find tiring is when people talk about the metaverse and Web3 and another, any technologies actually, Brian, uh, Alan, so I'm not going to say just what you went to because you were in the city, is that at times I feel that North America and is in a bubble. And, and when you talk about all these things here, you get that question mark, that, that uh, the eyes roll, the, 
what is he talking about? Is he crazy? But what a lot of people don't understand is when you go to these cities like Singapore, um, they're not, we're the ones, they're not in a bubble. They're, they're striving so far ahead of us. And I think that what people don't realize, and you can correct me when you were there and give me some examples, but um, we got to catch up. And I know where I am in my company, that's what we're doing. But I got to tell you, it's even a struggle for us. All I'm trying to do is keep up where other people think this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Let me try to explain what Web3 is. It took me about four days to, to really grasp it. The first iteration of the internet was what we saw in the 1990s. So people would put up a website, you would go to that website, you would read what was on that website, maybe you'd forward that link to somebody on via email, maybe there would be an opportunity to download something like maybe a song or some software, uh, or maybe there might have been a place where you could leave comments. That was it. That was all Web 1 was. Web, web 2.0 really begins when social media begins. So we have these different types of websites, these social media websites that allow us to communicate with other users directly and in doing so create specific communities around certain subjects or interests or, or whatever. And this leads to the rise of Facebook and Twitter and the Instagram, the, the big all the big the big guys, you know, Google and Apple and Amazon. And we really took after Web 2.0 because we were given access to this really cool software for free. Nobody charged us anything to use Facebook or Twitter. Uh, Amazon was wonderfully, you know, continues to be wonderfully convenient. And we put up stuff on TikTok. We put up stuff on Instagram. And again, we communicate with other like-minded people. And some of us, not me, but some of us end up finding ways to make money from this. Um, not a lot, unless you're a big influencer, but the possibility was there. As all this was going on, we have these companies, Twitter, Facebook, Amazon, Google, you know, all becoming very, very, very wealthy, big, and rich. And they did this by allowing us to use their platforms for free and harvesting the data that we left behind, who we are, where we are, what we like, what we don't like, who we communicate with, all these different data points. And they use that information to sell stuff back to us through advertising, through the sale of goods, through the sale of in-app services, and so on and so on. And we were you know, blissfully okay with this because when we did get an ad, chances are it was for something we had some kind of interest in. Uh, and we didn't mind being served ads that were of interest to us. But then after a while, we realized that, hmm, these companies are getting extraordinarily rich and extraordinarily powerful by harvesting data that we willingly provide to them for free. So if you want to look at, in another, look at it in another way, we have all been working for Facebook, for Twitter, for Amazon, for Google for free because we have been using their sites. And in exchange for the use of their site, we've been providing them personal information. And, and, and in all fairness, we've been getting good stuff as well. And Agreed. it's allowed us to grow our businesses. Um, and, and so I, and I, I'm agreeing with you, by the way, but 
remember, it was what was offered that no one else could get at the time. Right. It was completely revolutionary. It offered this opportunity to connect with with different people and different products and different things all over the world. And, you know, there have been all kinds of problems with it, but uh, it has been generally, you know, I guess a boon for for an awful lot of people are certainly very interesting. Um, what the problem is, is that we don't know what data these companies have on us. They don't tell us. And this has created an issue with an awful lot of people who are concerned about things like privacy, who see scandals like Cambridge Analytica, who see the weaponization of social media for political or, you know, economic gain or whatever. So this brings us to Web3. Now, Web3 is, from what I understand, and Grant, please correct me on this, and it's still a pretty nebulous sort of thing. It's a buzzword, by the way. It is a buzzword, but it is it is a new level of internet connectivity where individuals will own their data, will own property within the um, within the metaverse, and we'll talk about what that means in a second, and will basically be more collaborators rather than passive participants. Well, yeah, I think what we really call it is the decentralization. Yes. Of, um, of, of what's been going on so that we can all control what we do. And that's launched people like Constellation, Ethereum, and others. And um, so, you know, I'm a firm believer, and I know you're going to get into blockchain and all that stuff. There's no doubt that that's where it's going. Um, it's just, I think, Alan, do you think, you know, you were there. Is it because we're dominated so strongly by these large U.S.-based companies, you know, Facebook, Google, uh, and so on, um, even Amazon, um, that, that we're overwhelmed and uh, that where we may be, I'm going to say I'm not, but let's say intimidated, they're not. And, I, yes, <laughs> I, I agree. And we, the problem here on this side of the, of the Pacific is that we have got the messaging wrong. Most people believe that the metaverse is something Facebook is building. Yeah, they're way off. Yeah. It, it's, it's true that Facebook is building a metaverse, but there is no such thing as a capital M, one size fits all metaverse for everybody. Metaverse describes an online environment custom built for a variety of different purposes. And again, another buzzword, right? It's, it's not this, this universe that you enter, like uh, the book uh, Ready Player One, for yeah, example. Yeah. It, it, is, it will be individual metaversi versus for, uh, for, for all these different specific purposes. And we here in North America also have completely tuned out a lot of information about this new technology because it has been irrevocably tied to crypto, specifically Bitcoin and the ups and downs of Bitcoin and everything else that's happening with cryptocurrency. Blockchain. Well, yes, with (laughs) with that. Okay. So because crypto has been portrayed as something of a, a, in some cases, a Ponzi scheme, in some cases, a a, a terrible investment, uh, someplace where people will go and make a lot of money and then spend money on a stupid picture of an ape or, or whatever no. as an no. NFT and all that stuff. 
that's only a tiny little corner of what this metaverse business is all about. In, in, in Asia, people understand that you have a device, your phone, which will give you uh, access into these new environments online. And the on-ramp for many people in, in Asia is gaming. So if you're playing a game. That's where it started. It's where it started. So it, you know, it could be, we could be talking about Fortnite or, or something along those lines. But that gets you into sort of a metaverse environment. The other thing, uh, and, and we have a lot of people in Indonesia, in Thailand, in Taiwan, uh, in China. They have already embraced this metaverse environment online through their phones. And the reason that, that they have been able to move so quickly on this is because many people in that part of the world went from having no phone at all, no landline for years, to suddenly having cellular technology. So they are completely comfortable with doing many more things through their phone than the average person is in North America. Does that make sense? Well, it's, it, well okay. So, I mean, of course it doesn't. And you think of it that... When you're given a toy that you don't even know how powerful it is, you could expect it to take it to space if you don't know. And that's how they think. And so they're, they're adapting much quicker as well as remember, um, we have these things. Um, we have a lot of things that uh, walls that are put up against us to even do some of these things. So we have to look at government regulations. Uh, regulatory uh, in, in, in North America is much different than Asia. Um, and not so much in China, in that we know that each of these countries control internally what they do. But in Asia itself, uh, particularly in the in the in the op more open countries or, or third world for sure, um, they want to access anything, not yeah. everything, anything. Okay, um, and and the fact that gaming got them invited—why wouldn't you? Gaming gets you going. But I always felt gaming was nothing compared to what the metaverse is going to do. Agreed. Now, what's interesting is two more statistics. The average Asian consumer spends far more time online than we do. For example, a person in South Korea will spend an average of 10 hours and 34 minutes online every day. That's, unheard. That's just unheard of. It's, it's incredible. And then if you go to through some of these other countries that I mentioned, it's less than 10 hours and 34 minutes, but it's more than seven hours. Yeah. They're spending an awful lot of time online. So they become much more uh, uh, comfortable and much more immersed in this cellular technology than, uh, than, than we do much more quickly. The other thing, too, is that the overall experiences with people in Asia or people in Asia have had with this new Web3 type technology, and we're really not there yet, we're at Web 2.5, but we're heading that way, is that they are not skeptical. They're actually quite um, optimistic and enthusiastic about what they've seen so far with metaverse technology versus a vast number of people in North America. And I can't remember what the statistic was, but uh, the, the, the majority of users in North America we're skeptical. Oh, it goes back to even, you know, I, I will be straight with you. When we announced the metaverse at Locomobi, we got snide comments. 
Sure you did. And I was saying, these people are people who have no clue why we're doing it. They think it's like, oh, yeah, great. We'll get to play games at your company. They are so far behind that I felt no sense even arguing it because they're in a different world than me. And I'm in a different world than Asia. I'm just trying to catch up. Yes. I think that um, Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies probably gave it a bad name, but not really, because I think Google just announced yesterday they just signed a deal with the leading Bitcoin company in the world. Um, I think it was this morning, it was announced on Stock Exchange. So, I mean, everyone knows it's coming. And I'm going to tell you something. When they talk about whether Amazon or Google or Apple sign up with a cryptocurrency corporate company, they all agree that it hasn't caught on. Mm-hmm. But they have no choice. It's time. And and you're going to see them have to start taking leads in this or, well, I don't know if they can even do that because I think the individual decentralization, and that's what, you know, of course, that's what blockchain was all about, uh, is going to happen. And and we're going to all going to control what us and our clients, our employees, our clients, and our public want to control. I don't know how it will be regulated. I don't know how it will be instituted. But I think it's here today. And I don't know what kind of examples you saw when you were at this um, convention or this, this, this meeting, conference, uh, of how, what they're doing now. I'd be interested to know, um, you're, all, you're over there. What are they doing now that, uh, that is going the direction you see in your world? One of the things that they're doing is trying to educate people what blockchain actually means. And so, which, okay, so the, the way they perceived it, or the, the way they presented it was, this is a public ledger of all transactions made. You can't game it. You can't fake it. It's there. It's permanent. So anybody who makes a, an online uh, financial transaction, whether it be just paying somebody for a service or you're buying some property online uh, or whatever, it's there forever. Uh, and and there's, there's many things that you can do with that. For example, if you are an artist, and you have a painting, and you sell a painting, a virtual painting online, um, that becomes your property. That property may, for example, increase in value over time, at which point you may want to sell it. So you will be able to sell it online and reap the profit. But because it's in the blockchain, the original artist will also get a piece of the action because as a creator of the contents, as owner of that property, if it gets sold on to somebody else, well, the original creator should be compensated. Now, compare that to, you know, buying an album in the store and then buying an album at a used record store. Sure. The, the, mm-hmm. the artist in the used, who who's has their used record sale gets nothing from the sale of that and everybody else gets the profit. This will stop that from happening. Okay, so um, should it? I bought an album. This is a good one, Al. I bought an album. And I want to sell my buddy for five bucks. And I realize that only if you decide to be part of this, but let's just say, let's look at the argument of not, not if you can do it, what is the argument that an artist, and, and this is a good one. I think this is a good one should get more. Would it be because they'd sell it for less to start and keep the rights? I'm not really sure. These are things that still have to be worked out. Right. Okay. Uh, so, you know, let's say, let's say uh, Banksy has an NFT okay. And, okay. and I buy it. Yeah. 
and Banksy dies, and, and all of a sudden, all his 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 artwork becomes really, really. Yeah, um, and you bought one. I bought one, so it increases in value. Absolutely, and I can I can either keep it, or I can choose to sell it because and take a profit. And if I sell it and take a profit, then the blockchain will automatically credit the estate of Banksy with a portion I of know. those proceeds. I, I get it, and that's cool. I I, I like that. Um, and this is again the way they were t- they were talking about it. This would be automatic, transparent, and instant. Yeah, as so, long as you buy into that, there'd have to be. And I know we're just talking in generals. Like if I got twenty Andy Warhols that I bought because I was smart enough to buy them, and I own them now, and I sell them, I don't plan on sharing the profit because I paid a premium to get them. Um, but what you're saying is, it's not necessarily they're going to get the profit. They're going to get a share in the profit share. because they hold the IP of that unit forever. The original IP. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, and no different than how we sell software today. Right. Um, yeah. So we're used to that already. And, and but remember now, because because we have all of us in business have software as a service, we charge less. OK, so in other words, we get it forever, but we don't pay. No one pays up front what they normally pay. Like if I bought an album, instead you're going to buy a service. Right. You're going to buy that album monthly and you're going to play that music forever and pay a monthly fee, maybe forever. And therefore the IP sits with the, with the, with the, the writer or whoever has the rights to that, to that, uh, that, that copyright. Um, that I get. See, that I think works. Because then people are saying, I don't mind sharing it. I mean, we're all in it together. And that's how I view it. Yeah. Uh, and and th- there are, are many, you know, different ways that this can be, you know, I was obviously interested in most of the music stuff. Oh, of course, that's why we're talking about it. Give me, give you an example. Uh, touring is very expensive. It's exhausting and it's bad for the environment. So a possible metaverse solution to this would be for a, uh, an artist to have a residence in some small venue somewhere in the world and charge extraordinary amounts of money for people to be there in the flesh. Unbelievable. Yeah. Everybody else will be able to join in online at some level of metaverse interaction. And maybe they'll pay a dollar or $5 or $10. I think that that works. Right. So if you are like, let's look at BTS, the, the, uh, the K-pop band. Yeah. They held a, an online show. And over the course of this one show, they attracted a million people from 191 countries. Now, if you can create something like that online on a regular basis and not only charge admission to the digital viewers, but sell them stuff within the metaverse, you know, like a digital T-shirt or, or something for your avatar, or maybe you purchase a... A real T-shirt. What? A real yeah, T-shirt. It could be anything. Yeah. And, and what if, you know, there's over the course of a week of these shows, you have 10 million people tuning in. Yeah. The, the amount, and you know, let's say a dollar, if even, even a dollar. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. There, there, another thing that is, it's really big in the fashion industry. Apparently, those who have engaged with metaverses within the world of fashion, 79% of them have already bought digital clothing which is clothing that is that you wear your avatar wears while you're online. I know. It's, it's uh, 
Yeah, and here, here's where I am. I See, from my standpoint, I believe that to be okay. I believe, honestly, I believe it was made for the music world. Oh, I it think is. it was made for it. Um, I have looked at the metaverse as the ability to interact with people at a much cheaper per, per transaction and to train, educate. And, and by the way, this could be, in our case, we're going to, can you imagine servicing clients that can come? We just launched our metaverse, our first four walls last week. We announced it, I think, this week. Now you can come into our showroom and touch and feel and work with us and not get on the plane and not spend that money. So more people are going to do it. Um, and then when you have a service problem, you're talking to avatars, which can help you and, and link you to real people. So I love that area. But what I think is the even bigger one is healthcare. Yes, they did talk about healthcare and okay. uh, give you just one example. Um, using metaverse type technology, uh, you could have a surgeon practice on a virtual body before the surgeon goes into the operating right. yeah, I saw, I read about that. Get it right. That's, I mean, that's freaky weird. Oh, how about just going to see the doctor, Alan? Sure. We have virtual phone calls now. Uh, you know, I have not visited my doctor in person since this beginning of COVID, even though I can. We still do the phone calls. Well, you know what? We could do virtual too, where he has to look at something. He has to show me something. I view, and then you think about cures and thousands of doctors working together on the metaverse. I like. I just think it's unlimited of of what you could do with the metaverse from a humanistic standpoint. Another thing that I learned, uh, we have Generation X, we have Generation Y, Generation Z, Generation Z. And after that, we have Generation Alpha. Generation Alpha are all the kids that have been born since 2010. So they're still uh, very, very young. But they have grown up in a world of smartphones and tablets and always on internet. And they are so comfortable. You know, they have been playing and poking at, at, at playing with and poking at uh, devices since they were, you know, a year old. And one of the statistics that came up was that about 65 to 70% of Generation Alpha believes that their online image, the image that they portray online is more important than the image they portray to other people in real life. Unbelievable. Now, think about that for just a second. It is more important how you look to your online buddies than it is to your actual, the actual people sitting next to you. Because you spend more time with the online people. That's it. So, you know, older folk can look at this and go, uh, you know, I don't get it. It's, 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 it's a fad. It's going to go away. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. But what, what's, in, and they made this very clear too, is that just like we moved from web one to web two with the gradual introduction of social media and how all that built up, we are going to get pulled into the world of the metaverse and we won't even notice it. It's going to be uh, largely an evolution. Won't be, you know, one day you turn on your computer or you turn on your phone and it's going to be completely different. No, we're going to be, you know, slowly being dragged into this sort of thing. and. Uh, we will have crypto wallets so yeah. we can buy things online. Uh, some of us may have um, he uh, headsets 
uh, you know, uh, to wherever over our eyes. Other people will just uh, navigate, uh, you know, with their mouse and their screen. Well, I think the, the, the value of a headset obviously is amazing because the, to feel it, uh, and, and I just want to make a point before I talk more about feel it. They're going to, you know, I don't know if you know this, but you're going to be able to do taste tests. I have heard. Yes. I, They'll I have, have heard. the ability to taste. Okay. Yeah. Blown away. Uh, but my point is on the headset, until they can produce a headset that doesn't, you know, break your neck after 10 minutes, um, it's going to be a tough haul. But they're going to come out. And I can tell you now, Alan, we're sending headsets as service with our service departments to our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because they can just log in and learn anything. Um, so this headset will be like part of our process. Now, once you, we all know that one day no one will need our headset. It'll be an app you download on your glasses and you'll be off and set. We all know that's going to happen. Um, or maybe it's just be something hooked up to your eyes. I know I sound crazy, but I know it'll happen. The point being is it's going to be totally interactive. It's going to be the way we do life. It doesn't matter, Alan, if you and I agree with it. Like being, we'll say, in the older generation, uh, I think our ability to to adapt has been great, me and you and others like us, because we accept it, that, hey, we can argue it. But these kids, I mean, they're so smart, and they will be our next generation of executives and leaders. And they're going to expect all this. They're going to expect this is how it's going to work. We're not going to have conferences. Uh, they're going to be talking to people every day. You got a problem? I'll be in your room in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk right now. Let's get in and discuss this. Um, it's got so many benefits that even a guy who believes in human intervention like I do, I can't. I just can't ignore all the benefits. It is going to be really interesting uh, from a consumer point of view. It's also going to be fascinating from a business point of view because of the way uh, blockchain transactions are conducted. Um, I'll give you another example from the music world. Let's say you have written a song or co-written a song with 23 other people. Okay. Which is not unusual in the world of pop and hip hop these okay. days. Okay. There are Didn't know that. Thank you. Say there's 24 people who have contributed to this okay. one song. How do you determine the royalty splits for that song, for all the songwriters? Well, in the current way of doing it, it is a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And it becomes even more complicated when, let's say that as part of those, that the song, that you have included a sample that was written by somebody in 1969. Ah, and And that sample becomes an important part of the structure and appeal of the song. So that's another person that needs to be compensated. And to do it right now with all the manual performance rights organizations and the way they collect royalties and distribute them, it like, wow. And that's the change. honest guys. That's the honest, the honest guys. guys. Those don't tell you. They just do it. They just do it. Blockchain, boom. Yeah. All yeah. those people will get the appropriate share. Let's say, you know, songwriter number three needs, you know, 14% of the song, but songwriter number four only gets 2%. You'll be able to, to carve things out that carefully and pay out people exactly what they're yeah, owed. Because it's always there and they can't yeah. change it. Um, can't be changed. Yeah, yeah. That, and I think that's going to be everything we do. Yeah, and you can audit it right there. Yeah. 
which which has been another problem with the music industry is like how many how, how big is this check where did all the money go i want an audit well i don't know well this way you'll be able to do it okay so when you were there the the big question i would ask is and i'm not going to ask it here because hmm. when do they see this being a reality or do they see it now what's the evolution in their minds when you're at this conference they see it is as something that is has already begun and that it is uh, taking um, hold in Asia much more strongly than in the rest of the world. And that there are tons of different companies in all kinds of different fields already embracing this and quietly, slowly integrating it into the uh, in, into their their online technology now. Yeah, or blockchain, you could say. I mean, it's- or or blockchain, sure. Yeah. And there, there, there hasn't, there isn't a, a, you know, a Facebook-like company or a Google-like company that is, we are the metaverse, just like Facebook was, you know. No, I, I think Facebook want to be the metaverse. They want they do. to be the biggest. And by the way, they are the biggest, um, but they will not have the control they're used to having. No, and that's the problem. That's, that's the whole thing. It comes down to control because we talked about it earlier, this idea of IP uh, and everybody has their own even the most casual user has their own IP and you want to be able uh, to control that and to continue ownership. You can't have ownership and, um, and, and, and a free market and you can't have a free market without ownership. Yeah. So yeah. this is going to, uh, I mean, we're, I'm throwing a whole bunch of words out there right now, but I, I think I've got it to a certain extent. And I'll be watching very closely to see. We should have an update in about six months or so. In, in about six months. Because I think, I think so. that's when you're going to really see. Look, in all fairness, I mean, like him or not, Zuckerberg's betting the world on it. Mm. This is a guy who's probably lost 40, 50 billion in market cap making this change. Um, so he's betting the world we're going this way. Um, he's betting the world that he'll be the biggest, and he probably will be, but who cares? Um, It'll be interesting to see um, who jumps on first in North America to be some of the leaders. Well, there's lots of leaders, but if it's truly decentralized, there will be no big leaders. There'll be lots of consultants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there mean, sure will be. Tell you wow. Did I meet a bunch of those? There you go. Uh, okay. So so to the end that, I want people to know that to build a metaverse or we'll call your first four walls is not what everyone thinks. It's not expensive. No, it's becoming cheaper all the time. Yeah. And and I think that um, they should consider, uh, people should consider using that. Anyone that has it will be the link with each other. So the benefits will be the people, uh, here we go again, I hate to say the word, on the blockchain. Um, and it's not all just about payment, okay? Payment can be decentralized. Payment can be securitized, and it will be. We all know that. But in the meantime, you can do everything but payment if you want to. It doesn't have to be just how do we pass payment around physically? In other words, we can agree on something in the metaverse and I can still pay you the old way, you know, with electronic payment until I'm comfortable. So I don't think it slows down things. Uh, I think that it's it's information to start, information and rights to technology. And I think it's going. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm willing to bet that you're probably already seeing some metaverse attributes on some of the sites that you, you visit. And you don't even notice it. Absolutely. I look for it. I look for it. Just one last thing about Facebook. Facebook knows that they are giving up all this free data that they're getting from us 
or they're, 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 that data is going to go away. Advertising. <laughs> right. That's, that's the big, so they, they need to control as much Absolutely. of the metaverse, of their metaverse as they possibly can, so they can keep getting data from us, so they can keep selling advertising. So I think, I think, I think the way I would leave this, Alan, is to everyone who are listening, you need to get a hold of your data. You need to decentralize and control what you own, and you'll be much better for it. And you, you got to learn this and tune in for our next podcast when we update everybody. Yes. It, uh, the metaverse is coming. It's probably already here and you don't realize it, but uh, just wait. Over the next two, three, four, five years, we are going to see the same sort of magical transformation that we saw in the early 2000s into where we are today. And where we're going, I don't think a lot of us can quite envision it yet because it's going to be so radical. There's another episode of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks to uh, me, I guess, for being Grant's guest today. If you have any comments about what you believe the metaverse is going to be and how it's going to work, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. And check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Executive Assistant, Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we will see you next time.